0: Hello, everybody. I'm reading from Isaiah starting at 52:13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see; and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord ha- the Lord been revealed? For he grew up with him, or for he for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that, that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before she, shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of many of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, and with a man, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He he has put him to grief. and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes the intercession for the transgressors.
1: All right, so we, we, we are in 1 Peter and um, sometimes I think it feels like there, there are things happening in our lives. You know, the thing with Buzz is not a usual thing. It's, it's, this is unusual. We, we haven't had that in our community and, and it, it, it kind of rocks us. I don't know, if, I know it, it's kind of rocking us. Um, and I'm sure it's rocking some of you. And but we have to allow Jesus to break into that. And then you know, this week I had my, uh, Chris, my friend. Many of you know Chris, who leads Genesis Collective that we're part of, has now got a major heart issue, um, and it seems that's an electrical problem, not a plumbing problem. And so he's on medication. Uh, he's never been in hospital in his life before. You know, never been sick that, was, that we know of, and we've known him a long time, healthy. And I walked to him the other on Monday, and he could hardly walk up. A little hill like this he was puffing it's just life is fragile and we have to acknowledge that and don't pretend that, that everything's okay when everything's not okay this is not how it's meant to be um jesus has come to buy a new life for us and we know that that's going to be coming but we want to see some of that break into our very present and that's why we pray with faith um, that's why we keep believing and we won't stop believing um but I want to encourage you, um, for me, let me just speak about me. When I, in, when I get into these times, I feel totally, I'm um, hurting inside, but I get into more efficient mode. Does it make sense? Tears don't flow that easily. Linda cries for both of us. Um, I know they will, but I get more efficient, but I want to s- we, we we need to allow God to work in our lives and, and do all those things, because we, it's painful, you know? And, 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 be, and we need to be with our friends and encourage and stir and do all those things. Is that okay? We don't want to hide. We don't want to pretend. This is community. We're feeling it. It's aching. Um, and that's okay. The Bible's full of stories of aching. The Bible is full of stories of pain and hurt. But that Jesus is with us. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. You know, even the Great Commission—we're talking about you know going, be making disciples, which is the task of the church. And I will be with you, till the very end of the age. So, if, if we can just keep that in mind, um, our mission a, 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 as community is to is to be disciples to Jesus, to make disciples, be a disciple, grow as a disciple, make disciples, followers, apprentices, students, whatever word you would like to use in that. That's what we call to do. And, but along the way, we have these, this, these tough moments. And uh, someone once said there are like these four movements within what God does. There's creation, and then there's fall, and then there's new birth or resurrection, and then there's new creation. Kind of the, the big picture or arc of what our lives are like. And we kind of live in this middle ground of the fall and the resurrection. We're not yet fully in, the, in this new creation, everything will be made right, but we're no longer yet in everything's bad. We're in this middle ground, the presence of this future. And so when we read texts like 1 Peter, is Peter's writing to this church that has experienced new life, it's experienced resurrection life, but it's living in a fallen world and is therefore is under pressure and, and under persecution and under hardship, and people are still slaves. And there are still women that have been totally dominated by their husbands and all sorts of things. And so Peter writes this letter uh, to help them, to say, if we read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, something we did, but I would love to read it again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying we're in this world, but we through the resurrection of Jesus, we have been given a living hope, an assurance, a certainty of what is to come, this treasure, this inheritance, this promise that has been made available to us that we will see one day in all its fullness, even though now we might have a few trials. And those trials include sickness. Those trials include disease. Those trials include broken relationships. This there's, there's lots of things. But we look forward with hope because we have a living hope. And we have to anchor ourselves into the future, not into the past and not even into the present. We are a people anchored in the future because of the resurrection. So when the, the great definition of faith in the Bible is Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is the assurance of things... Hopeful, the certainty of things not yet seen. So it's the assurance of things hopeful. So if we don't have hope, it's impossible to have faith. So if we have a hope that God has done something in Christ and has released through the Spirit this life, then we can have faith, believing God can heal, God can deliver, God can restore, God can save, because we have a living hope. We have to anchor into that. A day is coming when it's all going to be dealt with and it'll all be new creation. You know, everything will be made right. And so as we have questions and as we have doubts and as we have sorrow and tears and pain, let's keep them within the perimeter of those four things of creation, fall, resurrection, new birth, new creation. Stay within that and say there's a way to, to maneuver and somehow get an answer to some of our questions in that. Not every answer, not every answer satisfies, but if we stay within that, there's a sense of the hope and the faith that can rise up. If we get out of that, then we're just on, a, on an ocean that's just going everywhere and we're going to sink. Is that okay? Stay within that kind of story, which is the story of the scriptures. Okay, leading into what we're going to do. So we're going to read from one. We're, going to go, we're in one Peter chapter two. Brian covered most of chapter the end part of chapter two last week, but he said it was a bit near the end. He felt we should pick up on it again. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to read from verse 18 to the end. I'll Try not to be too long today. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Now look at the language here. It's all the language from Isaiah 53 that, we re- that Miles read earlier. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Just underline that in your Bible or in your iPhone or market or in your head. He Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And it's kind of like Peter. Just, what was I? Okay, their address. Okay. Well, you know, If you go there, you'll find the overseer of your souls there. All right. Yeah, okay. That's where it's at. It's where it's all happening. If you want to find the overseer of your souls, you need to go to La Paz. All right. Um, what Peter's doing here is Peter's trying to make sense of a world gone crazy. He's trying to make sense of the suffering of the Christ. I mean, here comes the Christ, the Messiah, and he s- dies. He dies. And he suffers. This was what's supposed to happen. He's supposed to rule the world. And it's like Peter connects the life of Jesus, what Jesus has done, to this prophecy, this poem from Isaiah 53, which has stood with the, the, the people of God you know, for millennia. He connects it and says, this is what's happening here. He tries. He's making sense of the life of Jesus and beginning to see, oh, because of that, this is going to happen. Because of that suffering it's opening up a door to this healing. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to see that Peter does it. So Peter has quite a good understanding of kind of the work of Jesus on the cross and how that plays out. Um, But what he also does, and this is a little summary, and then we'll pop into something more specific. What he's also saying is that when he speaks about slaves or household servants that are under uh, the control of, masters that are dictators and unjust and are not, not good people. He's saying, as you see that, you are connecting yourself to Jesus. But more than that, Peter's saying, this actually applies to all Christians. As I knock the mic. It applies to all Christians. It doesn't just apply to these few servants, slaves, household. It applies to all Christians. He's using it to say, as you do it, that's going to be our story all along. And Jesus has actually been the forerunner of that, because he was unjustly treated. He was unjustly dealt with. He was treated like a common criminal in the Roman Empire. He was crucified as a common criminal, as the lowest of the low. So, Peter says, so if you're a servant and you're suffering, just see yourself connected to Jesus. But more than that, everybody, see yourself connected to that life in Jesus. And he's leaving for you an example. And he's asking us to follow in his footsteps as we live this life. And we're going to unpack those two little things because I think they're key to this understanding of what it means to be a disciple to Jesus. Because the task we've been given is to go into all the world and make disciples. As disciples, we make disciples, we live as disciples, we grow as disciples. For the rest of our lives, we are disciples to Jesus. And he says, this is what it looks like. Let's read that verse again. He says here, um, for this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps and I want to unpack those two words the word example hypogrammon or hypogrammon or grams it's it's the word that was used think about this if you're teaching a kid to write and you wrote the letters of the alphabet across the top of a paper top of paper and you gave a child a pen or a pencil and you said now copy those letters exactly that's what that word means all right? Trace exactly. You could have, you know, put it down with tracing paper. Trace it exactly. So, when I leave you an example, I want you to follow it exactly. I want you to trace. I want you to draw exactly what that looks like. Have you ever done that with your kids? You're teaching them things. You trace even color between the lines. Here's the outside. You fill it in. But you don't go outside of that. You stay within that. And if you're teaching it a child to write, and they get it wrong, you say, let's try it again. Let's try it again. Draw it exactly. Um, it's, it's suggesting the closest way of copying something is having the example, and then you copy. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying here. He says that he's left us an example. His life is a life to be copied. Exactly. How do we know the life that Jesus wants us to copy? How do we know about it? From the Scriptures. That's why we read the Scriptures. It's the only, way we, the only thing that we got that tells us what Jesus is like and how he lived, that we can copy it. Make sense? So Peter is referring back to Isaiah 53, saying, Oh, this is what's happening. Jesus lived that. We have to copy that kind of lifestyle If we're going to be disciples to the master. You don't have the freedom to say, I don't feel like drawing on this piece of paper. Give me another piece of paper and I'll just do my own thing. That's not following the example of the one that's teaching you. Have you got children, ever had that with your kids? This is the way I want you to do it. No, I'm rebellious. I want to do it my way. Put the toys in that box. No, I want to put them in that box. No, you've got to follow the example. This is what it is. Do exactly what I say and what I do. See, Jesus didn't just say it. He actually did it. He didn't say, when trouble comes your way, just be silent. And then when trouble came his way, he yelled. That would not make any sense. No, when trouble came his way, he was silent. He reflected it. He lived it out. and He said, that's how I want you to do it. Which kind of tough. Um, so if you just use the word, let's model this, let's use examples, let's, you know, this is a pattern. I think those things are too weak. They don't really speak about it because that's saying, well, here's an example of how Jesus wants you to do it. And I think, I think the scripture is actually telling, no, 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 no. This is the paradigm by which you must live. It's not, an, it's not an idea. It's not like a good suggestion. No, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, this is the way. This is the paradigm. He's laid it out for us exactly. And so we, we copy that, those big letters of the life of Jesus, into our own lives and live them out. That's what that word, example, means. Um, So, if we are to live as servants of God, which it tells us in verse 16, we are now servants of God, slaves to Christ. In our freedom, we are slaves to Christ. Do we understand that concept? Our freedom is not like, "Now i am just do what I like, when I like, how I like. That's not what freedom. The freedom in Christ is that we have chosen to put ourselves under Christ to follow His example and do what He does. Does that make sense? It's really important to see that. Our freedom is that we can be slaves to Christ or servants to Christ. And he also calls us servants friends. Um, so the, the essence of the identity is a willingness to actually go through the life of Jesus, which includes sometimes suffering. And when we preach a gospel, now, and you need to hear this clearly, when we preach a gospel... That excludes pain and suffering, it's not the gospel of Jesus. There's a day coming when that's dealt with, but now we live in this in the fall, this fallen world. And so to somehow promise people, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away, it's just not the truth. Otherwise Jesus set the wrong example. Come to Jesus and you'll be rolling in the dough. No. No. Come to Jesus and this mortal body will never fail you. You will live forever. No. There is a day coming. When new creation steps in and there will change. But in this world, no. We're going to follow the pattern of Jesus. Um. And as we go through that, so as we go through the pain and the sorrow and the, all those things that come our way, sickness, we try and do it in the attitude and the way that Jesus did it. You know? It's, are we perfect? No. Will we mess it up? Yes. And when we do, someone comes alongside and says, let me walk with you through that. It's going to be okay. That's why we need community. Um, and he said more than that, he said, he's leaving us an example so that you might follow in his footsteps, in his steps. And I, don't, I dare not even pronounce the Greek word there. Can you pronounce it? Ipokotholia, whatever it is. It actually means to follow so closely. Have you ever done this where your kids, you've walked in sand or mud or snow, and then they put their feet exactly in your feet like that? That's what that word means. So it says, follow me, and I'm going this way. And you say, no, but I want to go that way. That doesn't fit. You put your feet where Jesus' feet have gone. You follow him. He is the great shepherd. He leads, we follow. Make sense? That's what that word means. So he set an example for us to follow. So we do it exactly. Where his foot goes, we put our feet. All right? So... So literally it's that, figuratively, or the way that we work it out is that we are imitating his life. We are imitating his lifestyle, um, living in the same way that Jesus lived. Now, he lived 2,000 years ago. He didn't have a car and airplanes, and, and you know he walked from village to village, and we drive to the next house. You know, but you pick, The pickup is we, we're trying to look at the life of Jesus and learn from him. So the whole idea of learning to slow down in chaos is Jesus because we're trying to be like Jesus. It's not just a good idea, it's we want to follow in the pattern. You know, if it's good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for us. That's the, the whole idea in this. Um, one of the great characters of the, of the Old Testament is, the, is that fellow Caleb. Anyone remember Caleb? Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, they're the two spies that went in, came out with a positive report. The only two from the people that came out of Egypt that actually entered into the promised land. I love Caleb. It says at 85, he's fighting everyone's battles. At 85, he said, now stop, stop. I want to fight my own battles. I want my own place now. And give me the high country. Don't give me the easy. Give me the... Because it says at 85, he was as strong then as he was when he was 40. So he's a good guy. This is what God says about Caleb in Numbers 14. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, the word followed there, so it's written in Hebrew, you know, and the word epikatholio is a Greek word. But there's a translation of the Old Testament that was put into Greek and it was called the Septuagint, means 70, written by 70 people. The, the word that they translated there is the same word, to follow. That was used in 1 Peter. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. He's done exactly what I asked him to do. He's followed me. I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. This is great promise because he has done what I asked him to do. And the tragedy and it applies to me, so you, you're all perfect, this applies to me, is that I'm wanting everything that Jesus promised, but I don't want to do it His way. I want to do it my way. It kind of doesn't really work. Somewhere along the line, things are, God's going to do things to get me, so I'll do it His way. That word is also used in 1 Timothy chapter 5 when it speaks about caring for widows. It speaks about a widow who's devoted. It's the same word. Who follows exactly, devoted. Same word that's been used there. So sometimes words we can we you know we can speak without unpacking. Sometimes we need to unpack a word because it, it says something really powerful. So it's saying, Jesus said, I've set an example and I want you to do it exactly and follow me like that. So the question is, what are we to imitate and what are we to follow? Because it's not just pie in the sky. And from this text, which is coming from Isaiah 53, some things that Jesus did not do, that he's asking us not to do. Number one, while he was in his suffering, he committed no sin. we have to unpack that. I don't have time to do that tonight. What does that mean to commit no sin? No, was he, he stayed in relationship with God, kept in faith. Anything not of faith is sin, tells us in Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews. So he stayed within the, the journey of faith. He didn't sin, even though he was in that pain. He did not lie or deceive anybody. He didn't say, you know, if I lie, I can get out of this. Have you ever found yourself in that place? I want to tell you, if I look at my life, I have just everywhere, there are times I've used tell a little white lie, a little this, a little, so that you don't have to go through the embarrassment or the pain or the whatever. We, we just do that. But Jesus in that time did not lie and he did not deceive. Actually, he just kept quiet, which is sometimes the really best thing to do. Start talking and we just, get ourselves in trouble. What did Jesus not do? He did not verbally abuse others back when they verbally abused him. The Greek word is loidorio. I think that's how you pronounce it. You've done more Greek than me. And the word there is anti-loidorio in the Greek. When they were verbally abusing him, he did not go back at them. He kept quiet. Has anyone yelled at you when you drive in your car? Do you yell back? Do you give rude signs? Because that's, and un- we just want to do that. It's just the finger that points out that. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. But he's, you no. Know, if you're going to walk in the pattern, in the example, in the way of Jesus, we get, we, he wants to teach us to actually just be silent. It's okay. You know, I've got, when people, this happened to me, a guy cut me off. Well, I was driving, and he, he thought I was cutting him off. because two roads with this, and I was ahead of him. And he sped up and got next to me, put, pulled down the window, and he just started yelling and cussing at me. This was about, I don't know, six months ago. Washington and Los Robles. So I wound down my window because I'd, I've, I've pre-thought some things. Because I could yell back. So I said, I said, can I ask you a question? He looked at me and I said, do you feel better now? And I said, I actually have another question. I said, did your mama teach you to speak like that? It's still not the way of Jesus. (laughs) All right. Because I just made him feel bad. It's still not the way of Jesus, even though I think it's a better way than the middle finger. It's still not the way of Jesus. All right. And he did not threaten. You do this to me, I'm bringing down the angels. He didn't do that. just kept quiet. Why? Because he trusted in the one who said, I've got you. So what did Jesus do? Because it's not what he, only what he, what did he do? Kept trusting the God who is just. He kept trusting trusting us. God will make all things right, and judgment be- belongs to God, not to us. He t- kept trusting. And then it says three things that Jesus did. He carried our sins on the cross so that we might have victory over sin and, and have right standing with God. He did that. He ach- achieved our eternal healing in all its fullness through His own broken and bruised body. That's what the text is telling us. And He reopened the way back to the great shepherd of our lives, that we could be in that relationship and be led. So he kept trusting rather than retaliating. And then he did some very powerful things on the cross on our behalf. So therefore, what is our response to that? If we're going to follow the pattern exactly, well, we got to put our trust in him above all else. We're going to trust him. Because if he trusted God, that God would see him through. And then he did this on our behalf. Then what we are called to do is trust him. That's the essence of our faith. The essence of the new life is that we say, Jesus, what you do, we trust that that's right. We trust you. That's all it is. And each day we wake up saying, Lord, today in the hardship, I want to trust you. In the sickness, I want to trust you. In financial ruin. I want to trust you. In this broken relationship, I want to trust you. In this marriage that feels a bit shaky, I want to trust you. With my child that's going off the rails, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. My whole life, I'm just going to trust you. That's the essence of what it means to walk with Jesus every day. I'm going to trust Him. Just like Jesus trusted His Father. We put our trust in Him that He's dealt with sin. And because He has, we have the power To actually have victory. I'm not saying we'll never sin and never do wrong. I'm not saying that. But we actually, the power of that sin has been broken. And if we trust Jesus and we abide in Christ, I believe we can see victory. Believing that we're actually in right relationship with God. That He is our Father. And when you have a bad moment, He's still your Father. Trust. We trust for healing. The whole person. Not just the body, the soul, the spirit. Yeah, we trust for complete healing. And we trust that God has got this new day coming when everything will be made right. And we're asking him to bring some of that into today. So when we pray for Buzz, we are asking for that future to break into our present. And we will keep praying. And we will keep praying. And we will keep praying. The reason we can keep praying is we, because of that hope. If We have no hope about that. No use praying now. Is that okay? Then we're just praying pie in the sky. And we trust that this shepherd of our souls has got a lifelong care for us. And Psalm 23 takes on a whole new meaning. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm finishing with this. Let's read Philippians chapter 2 quickly and then I'll, a little parable and we have finished. And therefore God has exalted him, highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we want to follow the example of Jesus and follow in his footsteps, we become servants. Our freedom calls us to serve one another. And in your lifetime, if you go to and move to another church, another city, whatever, and this is accountable to me too, and the lead of that church is, does not serve, find another church. Seriously, the moment I stop serving, and uh, I mean I'm a human, so leave. Is that okay? It's not worth following. That's why we follow Jesus because he set the example and the pattern. He has a tale of the goats. This was told by a missionary as a simple explanation of the great gospel of Jesus. An old missionary told the story of two rugged mountain goats who met on a narrow pathway. On one side was a chasm 1,000 feet deep, and on the other a steep cliff rising straight up. There was no room to turn around, and the goats could not back up without falling. What would they do? Got the picture? Narrow there, congo up, congo down, narrow, butting heads right here, congo backwards. What do you do? Finally, instead of fighting for the right to pass, because one could have fallen, one of the goats knelt down and became as flat as possible. The other goat then walked over him, and they both proceeded safely. In a sense, that is what... Jesus did for us when he left heaven's glory and came to this earth to die for our sins. He saw us trapped between our sin and God's righteousness righteousness with no way to help ourselves. He came in human likeness and took the form of a servant. Then by dying for for sinful humankind, he let us walk over him so that we could experience forgiveness and receive eternal life. Peter pointed to Christ as an example of humility. When we are mistreated for Jesus' sake, we must learn to be humble enough to let others walk over us if need be. This is not a sign of weakness but of strength and true humility. Such a response, when done for Christ's sake, brings glory to his name.